switch all this stuff over and like put the microphone on and all the normal things. Do it. There we go. We're going to continue our series. I'm so glad um, so many of you like braved the weather and the elements and all the, the craziness. It was, it was a slippery ride to church. Granville is kind of out there when it's trying to get on the highway. And uh, I, I prayed for no accidents, no spin-outs, no craziness for our family here. Uh, we're going to continue this series, Expand Church. What, what have we talked about so far? So far we've talked about church's family. It's the, the, the warm, fluffy, loving environment that we should have. And that is true and good. Church is family. If church is not family, we're doing something wrong. Okay? Church is not just family, though. Church is also kingdom. And uh, I'm going to have to see what I can do here. All right. Church is kingdom. Church is a life of lordship under the reign of the king. Jesus is our king. We are his subjects, his servants. He is Lord. I am uh, he's master, I'm slave. Like, these are, this is kingdom language. And church needs to be kingdom. If church is not kingdom, if there's no, like, obedience, lordship aspect to church, then it really is more of like a social club thing, maybe. Church needs to be kingdom to understand the reign of the king. But that is not it in its entirety either. Church is also mission. And that's what we're going to look at today is the idea of God loves people so much that he wants to rescue them from a life of sin. And so that is what we're going to look at today. You may remember this lesson. I did this two years ago. This is the one with the movie clips in it. We're going to look, we're going to look at the same movie clips. But last week, I know Chad did a good job. Chad talked about kingdom. and Chad talked about the euangelion, which is where we get evangelist, where we get evangelism. It's the good news. It's, the, it's what we get gospel from. And so I want to look. Um, maybe you guys remember this. Can you put uh, this proclaim up first because it's not working? My bad. Uh, I want to look at a few verses. This is that scripture from Isaiah that ta- where we get that, where we get that gospel, where we get that euangelion. It says in Isaiah 52, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And so that is the gospel. That You might think that God is not in charge. God is totally in charge. God reigns. That is the gospel message, which is awesome. And now... You might be like, is this like your annual or biannual lesson on evangelism? <laughs> kind of. But, uh, I don't know if you remember me doing this last time. Let's say, no one, no one here is like this, but let's say you're like super cynical. And you're like, I'm going to call you like snarky brother or sister. And you're like, bro, I, I've studied it out. This verse is about Isaiah. This is about a prophecy. This has nothing to do with me. I'm not a prophet. So this doesn't apply to me. I'd be like, okay, hang on, hold on there with me. Maybe we'll find another verse that hits, a, uh, hits your heart. Here's, the, here's when Jesus comes on the scene in Mark 1. This is Jesus basically saying the same thing. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And you might be like, well, that's Jesus' job is to preach and seek and save the lost. Like, I get that. But evangelism, like reaching out to people, it's not my gift, so that, that's, I'm not the Messiah. I, that doesn't apply to me. And I would agree with you. You're not the Messiah. Uh, but maybe there are still more verses we can look at. Peter, this is uh, when he calls the disciples. He's looking for people to like gather around him. And one of the things that he's going to ch- charge them to do is go out and preach the good news. He wants to gather these disciples. He's going to send them out as, um, as you know, messengers. You're going to go to the towns that I'm going to go to and you're going to preach the message. And you might say, that's great, the 12 disciples were awesome, but that's not me. I, that doesn't apply to me. Now I want to look at this. Uh, Paul, when Paul is called, he's one of the apostles. The, the twelve became apostles, but Paul is an apostle. And in Acts 9, it says, The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. He's like, he's, he, I've got a job in store for him, and that is to go and say, speak on my behalf. He's going to say the things I want him to say. You might be like, well, Paul's the most amazing apostle, missionary, preacher, church builder in the world. That's not me. That was his job, but that's not my job. And then Paul talks to Timothy. And this is one of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul is talking to Timothy, who is a church leader. And he says, hey, Timothy, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. He's like, you, Timothy, heard me say these things. And now I want you to go find reliable and qualified people, which we could maybe say are like teachers, but I want you to find these reliable people who are qualified to teach others so that they can go teach others. And I think my hope is that at least some of us here are literally just others. That we see ourselves in this line, we're beneficiaries of this actually working. That Paul talk to Timothy. Timothy found people to talk to other people. And now we are at the bottom of this. We are the others, many, many generations later, who get to benefit from the spreading of the gospel message. And you might be like, it's just not my gift, and I'm uncomfortable talking to people about Jesus, and I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to do it. (laughs) And I'm, I'm not trying to use these scriptures to, like, win you over. Here, here's why I, I, I did this. Maybe you remember this. I, I just wanted to, to, to illustrate a very simple yet profound truth about who God is. And that is that God uses people to help people. God uses people to help people. And you might, you might like, disagree with that. You might be like, well, if I was God... I wouldn't do it that way. If I were God, I would find some other way to meet their needs. And it's like, okay, valid. If I were God, I wouldn't do that either. But guess what? You're not God, and I'm not God. And I got to look at the scriptures to see what, did God, what does God actually do? 
When God sees a person in need, usually throughout the Bible, what we see is he brings another person in their path. And that is the way God works over and over and over again. The problem is, like, we go through life detached from this, and we almost have this, like, we're like an observer. And we see things, and we go, huh, look at that. We'll see some injustice or something that's unfair or some, some person that's hurting or someone that's like caught in, in the, you know, the slavery to their own sin and we're like, God, this is a tragedy. Look, God, look, what's going on? What's the matter with you, God? How can you let this happen? And God's like, well, why do you think you're there? Like maybe that's why you're standing there so that you can see the need and meet the need. And so I want us to just I want us to internalize this. I don't want us to be just visitors, like, like observers in our own life spiritually. My, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to warn you guys ahead of time. This sermon may go long, because every time I do this, it goes long. Uh, so hang in there with me. But we are gonna, I'm going to tell you a story. Maybe you remember the story. Uh, I'm, I'm encouraged that there's a lot of people that are sitting here now that weren't here when I did this two years ago. But we are going to talk about a, a, very, a true story about a boat. The SS Pendleton, do you remember when we did this at uh, CCC? And it's like, it's a gray movie, and it was a gray screen, and no one could see anything, and so I had to narrate the whole thing. Um, now, hopefully we can actually make it out better uh, in, this, in this situation. But this is the boat, the SS Pendleton. And this is a true story. Look it up. I'm going to encourage you to go watch the movie. It's a great movie. It's the movie called The Finest Hours. It's by Disney. Stars Chris Pine, Casey Affleck, and uh, some great people. Um, so, this is a true story. In 1952, the SS Pendleton, it was a, a tanker coming up from the Gulf, I think, and was headed up to Maine. And it got around Nantucket, and it hit this storm. In the history of the U.S. Coast Guard, this is up there in, like, the top three greatest rescues of all time. Uh, Hurricane Katrina was one. I think ferrying people across uh, and during 9-11 is another. And there's great rescues throughout history, but, but this is one of the most amazing, and that's what we're going to look at. And so, uh, for my first point is this. In need of rescue. February 1952 is when these guys are, are coming up past Nantucket. February 9th, February. In February, I don't even want to go check the mail at my house, and the mailbox is literally like right next to the outside of my door. Like, I don't have to walk to check the mail. But I don't, I hate the cold, if you know me. I hate the cold. And yet these guys are out in the Atlantic in February, and a storm comes, and it's like a hurricane. These guys, um, this sh ship was carrying kerosene up from the Gulf. It was a class T2 tanker. And I think what happens is, this is completely irrelevant. I just love this story, okay? What happened is, because after World War II, some of the boats were need, like all the good material was needed for battleships and stuff. And so for some of these like tankers, they were using steel that was not super good. Well, well, it wasn't well like forged. It was, it was kind of, it had a high sulfur content, which means in the cold, it got brittle. 
And so this hurricane is just smashing this boat around. And it's right as it comes up past Nantucket. And so I want to play this part of the the movie because this is what happens to the boat. That is the other half of the ship, turned around and facing them. And then he stands there and watches it sink. Okay. So that's how their evening starts. These guys are on the back of the boat. And the boat is literally cracked right in half. And there's uh, eight guys, I think a captain and seven guys on the front of the boat. And there's 33 guys on the back of the boat. Uh, the boat is like picked up and dropped and it's just cracked right down the middle. And you might be like, that's tragic. And how, how often does that happen? Are you ready? That night, it happened twice in the same area. There was another boat called the Fort Mercer, and it also snapped in half and was tumbling. And the crazy thing was, the Fort Mercer was able to get a distress call out to the Coast Guard. SOS, like, Fort Mercer, here's where we are, and here's what happened, and we need help. And so the Coast Guard is like, oh my gosh, there's a, a boat, a tanker is cracked in half, we need to go rescue them. So they all go to the Fort Mercer. So the guys at the back of the boat, of the Pendleton, they can't, they don't have have a radio. And uh, 
and they can't, they can't signal for help. There are eight men on the front half. They all die. 33 men on the back half. Now, here's what it looked like the next day um, when they are, the helicopters would fly over and they're looking. That's the front after it had like tumbled all over the place and then run aground and they, they find it. The back looked like this. That's, that's the back half of the SS Pendleton. And I don't know if you can see it. See this ladder here? We're going to talk about that towards the end. So you're on the back of a boat. You have propellers and a rudder, um, but no radio, no navigation, no nothing. You're, you're literally, the only thing is that the water tightness of the, what's left of the boat is keeping you kind of afloat. And what they're trying to do is keep it upright, because if it turns, they're all dead. And so they were dead in the water. They just weren't dead yet. They, they knew it. And so some of them, there's a great scene in the movie where some of them are like, well, let's get off. Let's get in the lifeboats and go out. And the guy's like, Casey Affleck, he's like, you can't go in the lifeboats. Like in, these, in a hurricane, you lower those lifeboats with men in them. As soon as you touch the water, it's like, and you're all dead. We have to stay on this ship until we get rescued. We can't save ourselves. We need to stay together until we are rescued. You'll see in the movie, they show these air intakes on the engine. So they're in the engine room and the water's coming up and they keep focusing on these air intakes because as soon as the water gets that high, the engine's cut off, everything goes. The, 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 part of the engines are running the pumps to keep the water out of the boat. So there's going to come a point where they, they're, they're dead. And they're just hoping that someone will come and rescue them. This is the boat that they are on. All right. I, wanna, I want to connect us to the men on the boat first. Okay? Do we see our need for rescue? Or do you feel like, spiritually, you're the guy who can lower the boat and rescue yourself? Do you see the need? There are people in need of rescue. Or do you believe that uh, everyone, everyone's okay, so I don't, need to, I don't need to rescue anyone? And guys, I, I wish that were true too. I wish everyone was okay all the time. But that's not what I see in the Bible. Some of us have gone through times of rescue in our lives. Times where we've been rescued physically. Like stories of uh, deliverance. I, I, I love all of James and Kelly's like bare miss car, like near miss car crash stories. Jen has a story of, if you've never talked to her about uh, Colorado Outward Bound. She did a mountaineering course when she was 20. She spent three weeks up on the mountains in Colorado. She actually celebrated her 21st birthday up there. But there came a point where she needed uh, rescue. Like they, they could not save themselves. And so the crazy thing is, maybe you've gone through a financial rescue. And you're like, oh man, I'm so glad someone bailed me out. But the problem is we can go through those physical, financial, those kinds of rescues, and then still be, have our hearts hardened spiritually. We can be spiritually rebellious. Here's a verse from 1 Peter 1. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. And I love this idea of our salvation is not just a, well, I was going to go to hell, but now I'm going to go to heaven. It's that I am in touch with the empty way of life that I was going to inherit. And I want you guys to know that I am so in tune with the empty way of life that I inherited. I am very aware of what my life would look like apart from Jesus. And it terrifies me. But maybe you're like, well, I come from a great family. My heritage is awesome. I don't need, it's not empty at all. And as parents, we try to teach our kids, we try to raise our kids to have a great childhood, a great life. And we don't want them to grow up and say, my father's handed down an empty way of life. That kind of would hurt our feelings as parents. But it's our job to teach them that even the best life that I as a dad can offer you is still empty without Jesus. Do you see the need for rescue? Your childhood is not so great that you don't need Jesus. Your heritage, your culture, your friends, your ideology, none of them are good enough to qualify you as not needing rescue. Everybody needs rescue. Some of them might actually have hurt you spiritually. There are some parts of the, our culture, our, our heritage, that can, tr- can fill us with a certain pride that thinks, my life is good enough to not need Jesus. But we, you do. We all do. So I'm going to move on. Because, gosh, look at the time. I'm going to destroy this. Just buckle in there, okay, guys? Just hang in there with me. We're going to go back to the Pendleton. There's 33 guys on this boat clinging to life. They need to be rescued. And then in Chatham, there's a, a Coast Guard station with these, with these guys hanging out. And they get the call. Well, well, actually, they get a call from a guy who's like at his house and he hears a foghorn off, offshore. And he's like, there's this, I keep hearing this thing. And so then they go to the, the, they go to the radar and they're like, oh my gosh, there's something out there. And they're trying to figure out what it is, but it's like they're not answering the call. Their radio's not working, but something's out there. We need to go check it out. So he says, hey, who, who wants to go? And all the guys, all the senior Coast Guard officers are like, I ain't going out there. It's a hurricane. I'm not going out in this. And I don't know if you know about, there's this, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, they call attention to it in the movie. Uh, the, the, the bar, the Chatham bar, in, in a, on a sunny, calm day, this is what it looks like. It's tricky to navigate under the best of conditions. And so, you know, young sailors that grow up there, they're like, I have to learn how to cross the bar. I have to navigate the bar. In a hurricane, it's literally deadly. And so there are these uh, four guys that I'm going to introduce you to, and they decide, like, well, let's go out and see if we can help people. And they actually, get, they actually get pulled aside. Maybe you shouldn't go out. Maybe you should just kind of go out in the bay, putz around, and be like, oh, it was too hard, and come back. Wink, wink. That's what you should do. There were reports that night of 40 to 60-foot waves. And they go out in this boat, This is a famous boat. This is 
The 36500, you can, it's like a, now it's kind of a museum, but you can go see it. So these four guys get on this boat, and they're going to go out there. Everybody left went to go rescue the Fort Mercer, and they need to answer the call. Here are the four guys. The guy over here, his name is Bernie. Bernie is uh, the, the coxswain, he's kind of like the captain, Bernie Weber. He was 24 years old, and he was the oldest of them, the most senior officer at 24 years old. This guy, I think the, the third guy, he was the youngest at 20. The, uh, this guy here, uh, I think that's Fitzgerald, I think this is Livingston, he, he's not even part of their crew. He was literally just like stopping over at that Coast Guard station to visit. And the call comes out, people need to be rescued. And he sees all the old guys sitting back saying, I'm not going out. And so these four young guys are like, we'll do it. And again, he got pulled over, pulled aside and said, you should just like try and quit. Like don't actually commit to this or you will die. And there's a a kind of a famous line. I don't know how true it is. Where he's like, in the Coast Guard, they say, you got to go out. They don't say, you got to come back. And so we're like, we're going we're gonna to go out. And so this is, I'm going to show you the scene of them crossing the bar. It's a long clip, but we're gonna, we'll be here till 4 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> the, um, this is them trying to cross the bar. They head out. The first wave, I'm going to show you the clip after the, 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 the second wave hits them. The first wave hits them, picks the boat up, and slams it down. Actually, they might be upside down. They had to, the, it's a self-riding boat, so it can go underwater and it'll come back up. Watertight compartments. As soon as they right themselves, a 50-foot wave demolishes them, crushes them. It breaks their compass. This is the second wave they encounter. It breaks their compass. It breaks their radio. It breaks all the windows. Now Bernie, he's cut all up. His face is like cut. He's got glass in his face. That is not in the movie if you watch it because Chris Pine is just so beautiful. Like they wouldn't mess his, his visage up that way. But in, the, in reality, he got cut that night. And the engine's flooded. And so now they're just sitting there dead. And this is how it goes. This is a longer scene, because it's going to show them navigating. So now Bernie has to use his like masterful skills of getting out of the the bed, the bar. 
All right. And so now, that was step one of their rescue plan. Get out of the bar. Get over the bar. Get out of the harbor. All right. So now I don't know if you can see this, but this is the boat right here. And now, good news, they made it. Now they're in the ocean in a hurricane trying to find a boat with no navigation and no radio, and they have no navigation and no radio. Miraculously, they find it. And they attribute this to a miracle every time they get, tell the story. They're like, we're, we're just going blind in the ocean, trying to find a boat. We know roughly where it is. We start heading that way, and then it, it's at nighttime. They find it. They, they hear it, actually. The metal is like, moving so much and grinding against each other, it sounds like screams and wails. And They hear the boat, like the metal grinding, and they turn on the spotlight and they see it. They see the boat. And their first instinct is that everyone on that boat is dead. Like, that's a ghost ship. There's no way that anyone's on that. And then they see a light up on the top. And there's a guy waving at them. And they're like, oh my gosh. There's someone here we're going to rescue. And then that light goes away. And then it comes back and they start to see people lining up on the edge of the boat. All 33 guys line up in need of rescue. Here's the bummer. The 36500 only has 12 seats. It's a little boat. They weren't In their wildest imagination, they didn't think they were going to need to try to save 33 guys. I swear I'm going to try to cruise through this, but here's here's an artist rendition of what the rescue looked like. This is not real in almost any any way because uh, they couldn't ever get the boat this close to the Pendleton without it being destroyed. And so there's these scenes in the rescue in the movie. There's these scenes of people like climbing down the ladder and then stepping off the ladder right into the boat. And Casey Affleck is the last one and it's like so like slow-mo and glorious. And he steps in and then he looks back up at the boat. It's not how it happened at all. Here's here's one of my favorite pictures. This This is another just painting someone drew. But this is, I want to I talk you through what's happening in this painting. Here's how the rescue went down. The waves were coming and going a lot. Like, like they'd crash up onto the side of the ship. And so climbing down to the bottom of the ladder sometimes means you'd be crushed by a wave. But sometimes means you're at the bottom of the ladder and you're still like 20 feet off the, above the surface. And so... Your job, if you're on the boat, your job is to climb down the ladder and then time it right and jump into the ocean because the boat is never going to get that close to you. Your job is to jump into the North Atlantic in a hurricane. The guy at the front of the boat in the little crow's nest thing, his job is to throw out the life preserver, the ring, and hopefully get it near you and then you have to fight with every fiber of your being, you have to fight to get to that ring. You have to swim to get to that ring. 
Because if you, if you don't get to that ring, you're going to die. So his job is to throw the ring to you and then pull you in. And then he kind of feeds you along the side of the boat to the guys that are helping people get into the boat. These guys here. Bernie probably had the hardest job of all, which was to pilot the boat so that it doesn't kill everyone. You can't stay, you can't play it too safe and stay so far back that you can't throw the life preserver over by the the ladder. But you can't get too close where you're going to get swept up in a wave and crushed. And so he's doing like figure eights, throttle forward, throttle back. He's like, man, this is so hard to keep my, us in a safe place and keep rescuing people. And then every once in a while, if the engine like dies or, or needs maintenance, one of these guys has to come back, go down underneath and fix the engine again. They fill up all 12 seats. And there's still two dozen guys up there. I'm like, what do we do? And I'm sure they thought, well, our seats are full, let's go. And Bernie famously was like, we're just going to just keep, keep them coming. And he said, at one point he said, we're, we're all going to live or we're all going to die, but we're all going to do this together. And we're not going to abandon people and, and then go back. One guy did, did die. And it's in the movie. And it, it was traumatic. Some, some accounts say that he, he jumped at the wrong time or whatever or the, the boat did get too close and it crushed him up into the, the side of the boat. He died. Um, and everybody was like racked with guilt over his, his death. But 32 men got into a boat. Actually, 36 men got into a boat that's meant to hold 16. And here is why, here's the whole reason why I'm trying to tell you this story. Because you're like, great, I have Disney Plus, I can watch it for myself. And I would encourage you to. It's a great movie. Watch this movie. But why, why do I show you this? This picture, till the day I die, this is the picture that I have in my brain when I read Matthew 4, 19, which says, Come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. We've, we've all read that scripture. And we all know the fishing, fishers of men, and fishing analogy, and we'll even say things like, oh yeah, my gym, I like to go to my gym and share my faith, it's my fishing hole. Guys, but what I love about this picture and what I love about this story is the idea of fishing for people as a mission. This is, this is, what, this is what mission looks like. Some of us might, might look at fisher for men, <laughs> send you out to fish for people. We might think of this. If we're like, hey, I'm going to send you out to fish for people, you might be like, oh, that's awesome. I love fishing. My uncle used to take me fishing all the time. I love fishing. Let's go fishing. And so you're, you think of it like this guy. This guy is what? Like six inches from shore? He has those fancy, like, Cabela's boots, and he doesn't even need them. He probably has a cooler sitting on the back of his pickup truck with some tuna salad sandwiches that his wife made him. Or he, can hear, he can hear his radio playing from there. Guys, this is, this is recreation. 
This is mission. And when we talk about Jesus saying, I'm going to send you out to fish for people, we want to engage in the recreation of, of helping people. We want it on our terms. We want it on our time when it's the most comfortable. And we do not want to engage in the deadly mission of rescuing people. So then the question is, will will you go out? Because spiritually, we're all in that station. We're all in that station, and the Spirit sends the call. People need help. And we're like, which one are we? Are we the old guys? It's like, nah, you can go. It's fine. Or are we the guys that are going to throw off comfort? Will you go out, or is it just too uncomfortable? Now, there are a few more characters in the story I want to talk about before we, before we wrap this up. The radio gets working again, miraculously, as they, get, as they start heading back. And they send out a call back to Chatham Station. We have guys that we've rescued. We're coming back. And the word starts to go out around town. The boys are coming back. And people... It's late at night, middle of the night. People get up and they get out of their house and they go down to the dock. Now, in the movie, it's romanticized. They all line up and shine their headlights out there to guide the boys home. It's not how it worked, but it's cool to think of. But there were like a hundred people on the dock when the boat came in. A hundred people waiting to receive the rescuers and the rescued. And there's a spiritual component to this too, guys. Spiritually, we need people who are waiting to welcome people. That's actually what this is good for. This meeting is good to be that. Where when someone who is hurting and beaten up by the world comes in here, we want people that's like, I'm so glad you're here. It is safe here. You're welcome here. You'll be okay here. And that is important. What does that look like? That looks like, hi, how are you? I'm Ben. What's your name? Like, (laughs) engaging, ready to receive, sending a light into the darkness. And yet, there was another group of people that night. And that group of people were the people that went to bed, and then the next morning they wake up and they hear, oh my gosh, did you hear? There was a rescue last night. And they're like, oh wow, oh wow, our town is kind of famous this morning. Oh my gosh, Time Magazine is coming to interview these four sailors. Cool. But that night, they were safe and warm at home in bed. Some people were calling them home. Some people were warm asleep. And so, here's how I'm going to land this. Because God uses people to help people. I believe that with every fiber of my being. Because God uses people to help people, I want to go through these four types of people from our story and compare them to us. Some of you are in need of rescue. Some of you are the people on the sinking boat, trapped in the empty way of life handed down by your forefathers. 
And I beg you to be honest with yourself about your spiritual condition and realize that you need help and that you cannot save yourself. The same way that those men had to have faith and surrender, jumping off the ladder into the ocean. That takes more faith and more surrender than any of us have ever had to demonstrate in our entire lives. The only way we come close to that is when we make Jesus Lord of our lives. That takes faith and surrender to see your need for Jesus. Some of you are rescuers. And I, I appreciate you. You're, you're awesome. Some of you are engaged in the mission of rescuing people. I love my wife. She was at um, dress shopping with Courtney. And she was like, you know, hey, what's your name? Oh, oh, so-and-so. And they, they learned like how, how much they have in common. She's like, let me get your number. And then, and then she ended up actually calling and getting Courtney a discount on the dress, which was super sweet. But, but that's just like, hey, it's this idea of being engaged. I want to engage with people. Not about, it's not even about evangelism. It's about if I'm not engaged, I'll never even see needs if I'm not practicing talking to people. I remember working with James when, when, when John got baptized uh, last year. Like, the idea of like, man, we're, we're in, we're in it. We're working together to rescue someone. I love watching the way Courtney takes care of our teens and getting with the girls. Oh my gosh. It's inspiring. And you know what? You reach out to someone and they ghost you or they never call you back. And yeah, it stinks. It happens all the time. It, but that's what it's like to engage in the mission. Guys, some of you are the people on the shore calling them home. And that is of such great value. And I, I, we need that. We need people on the shore shining a light into the darkness. When someone comes to church, you're like, I want you to feel the love of Jesus. I want you to feel the love. I want you to understand what family looks like. You're safe here. There's a place for you here. And that is valuable. Guys, but here's my fear. Some of you are asleep. Maybe you haven't engaged on any level to help anybody spiritually. And I want, I'm dead serious, guys. I have been all four of these in my life. And I'm keenly aware of what it feels like when I'm being one of these. There's, time, there's been years where I'm, I was asleep in regards to the mission. I was like, I need, I need to wake up and go like, talk to someone. I need to like, be the guy on the shore. And now I'm at the point where I know I can't go too long asleep in my bed and not feel it. I can't go too long being safe on the shore and not feeling like maybe I should go out on the boat sometimes. Guys, there is so much value in being honest with where you're at. Not pretending you're something you're not. Have a conversation with someone. Hey, here's where I'm at and here's where I'd like to be. The temptation is always going to be to overestimate where you actually are. There's hilarious anecdotes of people who are not engaged, but like to posture like they were engaged. Have you ever been, like, have you ever been to a baptism and someone's like, uh, hey, yeah, I want to share about this person. I have no idea who they are, but they, they open up their sharing by saying, I don't know you very well, but uh, I want to get, I'm like, why are you even here? You don't know them at all. 
And so we had to put a ban on that. Like, hey, if you come to a baptism, you are not allowed to say, I don't know you very well, but (laughs) I appreciate you. The worst, though, guys, would be someone in need of rescue with this mask on like they have all the answers. And, and, and that was me, especially growing up in, in a religious background. Like, I remember learning about, l- learning about the Bible at the same time where I thought I was going to show up to teach someone else about the Bible. And, and I, I so appreciate God was just like, Ben, shh, 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 stop. Don't talk. You don't know what you're talking about. Just listen. For someone to say, hey, you know what? Actually, I'm trapped in an empty way of life right now. That is one of the most courageous, awe-inspiring, brave, and humble things I've ever seen in my life. And guys, so I'm going to wrap it up. I actually asked Gates to do communion, but we're gonna, I'm going to just pray for us because Gates is sick. Church, church is family. And I hope that we, I hope that we take that seriously. I don't want anyone to think that, that I, don't, I don't believe that with my, my core. Church is warm feelings. Church is love. Church is care, even though it's also very dysfunctional, just like family. Go back and listen to that one if you missed it. Church is kingdom. Church is obedience. Church is submission to the ruler who is Jesus as Lord of our lives. But the whole point of this lesson is that it can't just stay there. We could, if we shut the doors, we're not going to let any more messy people into our church. We're just going to practice this until we get so good at it. We're going to practice family. We're going to practice lordship. And, and we'll perfect it. And then, then, wow, church is less messy. It's great. I like coming to church. But I truly believe that is not what God wants for us. It can't just stay there. It always needs to be looking. It always needs to be looking. How can I spread hope? How can I spread love? How can the Spirit use me to show people who Jesus is? And so with that, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will take communion. Amen, church? God, thank you so much for that you reach down. You stoop down from heaven, and you desire to have a relationship with us, an intimate relationship, not just a church-going attendance relationship, but you desire to partner with us, And you sent someone into our life to help us when we needed help. I pray that you can send us into someone else's life when they need help. God, I pray that we can engage in the risky, deadly mission that is seeking and saving the lost. And then I pray that we can have relationships, a relationship with you, a relationship with Jesus, and relationships with each other where We're always encouraged and built up. And God, I just pray that as we take communion, that we can remember that Jesus did come to seek and save the lost, and he died for that. He gave his life so that we would have a chance to have this relationship with you. And I pray that we we appreciate that, and we, we allow that to motivate us to talk about him to other people. We love you so much, and we pray all of this in his name. Amen.